All right, so we're going to be in Luke 12 today uh, as we continue talking about the words of Jesus and how Jesus's words challenge us. So today, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. Now, as I say that, that kind of sounds like a joke, right? Don't worry about your life. Okay. These are literally the words of Jesus. Do not worry about your life. And so this is a real life, real time challenge for all of us. And I want to kind of think about that as we get started this morning, because I think it's, I mean, we just spent uh, eight weeks on Wednesday nights talking about finding rest for our souls. So we were kind of in this topic. And back in the fall in September, I did a workshop uh, called High Anxiety and, and kind of like talking about how these things overwhelm us. And this is the kind of stuff that we were pulling out. The truth is the world in which we live, the norm is our society, our culture, our lives go faster and faster. We work hard and we're always pushing harder to go further. We feel like we are struggling 24-7. And inevitably, I think, maybe you don't agree, but I think if we reflect on it, I think it's pretty true. Inevitably, we all experience a life that isn't what we want. We all live in that place, overwhelmed, worn out, stressed out, I'm going to ask you today, how do we get there? And maybe more importantly, how can we get out of there? How can we move on from that? How can we find our way? The reality for you, if you think about your life, if you think about your week, if you think about your to-do list, is that we're all very aware of the things that we're supposed to be carrying, the things you're supposed to be keeping track of, everything that could go wrong in your life, everything that is going wrong in your life. We all have a high sensitivity, a very well-tuned radar to the burdens and the challenges, the crises and the struggles of life. Let me ask you, with that wonderful radar that you all have, as you are more and more aware of the things that are going wrong or could go wrong that you need to handle, that are going to be hard, that are going to be an energy depletion, how does it feel in your soul as you pile on more and more of that? Is this the life you want? Maybe, is this the life you think Jesus died to give you? The truth underneath of it is that the way we live, believers live, represents a belief system. That there's this pathway to life down this road of taking care of, keeping an eye on, avoiding, embracing all of this stuff. But it doesn't take us to life. It's this grand deception Because if you look around you, and maybe even if you look into your own soul, we know where it takes us. It takes us to depression. It takes us to despair. It takes us to being de-energized, to being discouraged. And so more and more often, even children of God short-circuit emotionally, spiritually, physically. And maybe, I don't know if this means something to you, but this, as I thought about this, it's really put a spotlight on it this week. Does it resonate with you that the lie that we live, that what we need is to handle all of this and carry all of this and sort all this out and have a plan for all of this all the time. And the the experience we wind up with is more and more devastation in this context. Today, in our lives, 
we have more convenience, more security, more money, more possessions than probably any society ever. We have more information. We have more opportunity to be heard. We have, as Americans, more rights than almost any citizens of any time. And yet we're miserable. More and more and more. I mean, anxiety attacks are the norm. Emotional problems, mental breakdowns are assumed to be a normal part of our experience. Could it just be, maybe, possibly, that we've gotten it wrong? Maybe. Maybe if Jesus' followers could figure out the way to real life, we could share it with a culture that has no idea how to get real life. Wouldn't that be something? And so what Jesus recommends, what Jesus instructs, is an internal discussion between our feelings, between what we see, and what we deeply believe and hold as true. That we face this disharmony, this disconnect between what we feel, what we see, and what we believe. Much too often for me, as a confessional, burdens win the day. And I don't have this internal discussion that Jesus is calling us to, whether it's in prayer time or just in meditation or just in a quiet moment. Probably because, if you're like me, I assume that the responsible thing is to never power down. If I take a moment, I'm, there's something productive I should be doing. Anybody else like this? And if I don't believe that, everybody else seriously believes it because they're all about, well, you, do you not have anything on your schedule? I love it when people come to me and say, what do you have going on Wednesday? I don't know. I'm going to be alive. What are you talking about? Like, well, I don't want to kind of like say, well, I, I've got this meeting and this meeting and this meeting because then like, oh, good. You've got an hour in here. I can, I can slide in there. People assume if you're not doing something, then you're not doing anything. This is an assumption behind the pace of our lives. How did we get to that? And if I believe it's the responsible thing or the other side, I just don't leave any time for reflection because I don't think I might like what I find if I stop and think about where I am and how I am and what I'm doing and how I'm spending my life. And so we go faster and faster and we kind of think that that's going to make us better and better and it keeps making us worse and worse. So I'm going to ask you today, let's just consider this possibility. Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Redeemer, Savior, Friend, has some things to say to you about life. And he has some things specifically to say to you about worry and anxiety. I want you to ask yourself if you're willing to consider that Jesus might be right. And when he starts to give us solutions to these, I want you to seriously ask yourself, do any of his solutions match up with mine? When I get stressed out, when I get overwhelmed, when I get worried, Jesus has some solutions. Are they yours? Like, think about that. What are your solutions? It, and, and maybe there are things that you do, or maybe there are things that you think if you could do, you'd be better. Right? So, solutions. When you worry about it, what do you think? 
How do, you, how do you deal with that stress of life? Well, if only this person was this. If only, if only I could have more money. If only I could be somebody who could afford to go on vacation. If only I could have some time off. If only I could win the lottery and, and have everything paid for. You know, the if onlys. Does Jesus say, what you should do when you're worried, you should pray for God to change your situation. Pray for God to change your spouse or your boss or your friend. And then you can live as soon as everything sorts out. Wouldn't you love to know what God gave us as an answer to the overrushed way of living stressed out? Are you tired yet of living on the edge of a breakdown? If you are, then you're hungry for what Jesus has to say. And so we're going to look at that in, in, in Luke chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 22 and 23. Before I get there, let me put a couple disclaimers on this. First of all, some of the emotional problems in our world today are medical, right? Some of you take medicine and all that. I, I don't disclaim, discredit that at all, okay? There are chemical things and whatever. But let me say this to you. Just because you might have a medical issue doesn't mean that the real answer is faith. Like, you're, every single one of us, whether you have emotional medical problems or not, all that does is get you back to even ground. You're still called to live by faith. And if you don't, you're just feeding into the problem. Medicine is not your savior. Okay? So I don't, take your pills, take whatever you got to do, but recognize this. You still have a choice to make about whether you're going to battle this by faith whether you're going to see this as a spiritual issue or whether you're going to see this as something else, right? In the end, even if you didn't have that, you still got to decide, are you going to live stressed out or are you going to live by faith? Second thing, um, sometimes when we talk about this, you know, live by faith and trust God and you shouldn't be so overwhelmed. I am not advocating, put your feet up and just, hey, I'm trusting God. Hey, if you don't have a job, go looking for a job. Do it in faith, but go looking for a job. If you're, you know, you can't just go, well, I'm just presuming God, I'm trusting God, he's going to do whatever. It's not a call to inactivity. It's a call to a different mode of activity. And the mode of activity is, instead of you thinking that it's all up to you, recognize that you serve a God who is powerful. And so we're going we're gonna to walk through this as Jesus talks about this today. So start with me in verse 22 of Luke uh, chapter 12, and we'll read what Jesus has to say here. It says this, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear for life is more than food and body more than clothes. Now, if you were here last week, you remember what we talked about last week. And this is literally the next verse, right? We had the Lord's prayer and then we have the rich fool, the story about the rich fool and greed. And so, and which kind of interrupted his discussion here. And so now we're getting down to do not worry. And he says, therefore, because of what I just taught you in the parable of the rich fool, because of what we just talked about, where the life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Therefore, do not worry about your life. And the end of that parable was, this is how it will be for anyone who's not rich towards God. Anybody who loses sight of what makes life matter, of why gave us life on this earth, they will stand before their creator and, Jesus' point, they will be surprised at how badly they were deceived, at how much they missed out on what God tried to give them in life. And he kind of says it like this, where are you storing up treasure? 
Anyone who stores up treasure on earth and misses out on storing up treasure in heaven, where are you storing up treasure? You're like, well, I don't have any treasure on earth. Well, okay. But where are you working to try to make everything okay? Where is your hope and where is your effort and where is your focus? Jesus says, let's apply this in a very practical way. One day I stand before God. Am I going to feel like, man, I can't believe I spent all my time, all my energy, all my breaths on that when I could have spent it on this? Jesus says, storing up treasure on earth or trying to makes us worry about our life. And so he talks to his disciples, says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Now, ladies, you might want to take that last sentence there and kind of put that on a mirror somewhere. But Jesus is talking to his disciples here, right? He's talking to people who are believers. And he's saying, this is how you should live. You should not worry about your life. You, if he's calling us to it, it implies that it is possible to do this. So let's pull this apart a little bit and think about what's Jesus saying to us? Because as believers, this is a birthright. This is, a, this is an invitation off to the side, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you've never given your life to Him, then this is your invitation to come to a different life. To give your life to Him by faith, to put your soul in His hands, to to, to trust His death and resurrection for your salvation, and become a child of God. And then you can walk in this way. The alternative, just like the alternative eternally, is you got to manage it yourself. you got to stand before God, and God says, why, why should you go into heaven? And you're kind of like, I don't know. I was kind of good, whatever. It's all on you, right? If you're a believer, you stand before God, and you go, it's not all on me. It's all on Jesus. I go into heaven because of what he did, right? Same thing for our life here. So if, you're, if, you, be, if you trust Christ as your Savior, it's like you can either choose to make it all on you. I'm going to figure out. i got to do this. i got to do this. Or you can go by faith. My life is in his hands. He's leading me. He'll guide me. He'll direct me. He'll provide for me. So my life's in his hands. So this is an invitation for you. So Jesus says, do not worry. Do not worry. So does that mean that worrying is a sin? I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in this stuff. The verb tense about this, do not worry, talks about the normal mode of living. Do not live in worry. It doesn't mean that you and I aren't susceptible to having worry come get us, right? A lot of times we invite it, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes you're just sitting there minding your own business and something happens and you start to like, oh no, like that freak out moment. That's when Jesus starts to invite you not to live in worry, but to have a conversation inside of If you think, as we're talking about this, do not worry, well, that doesn't apply to me. Maybe you're just rolling your eyes and going, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. Today's world is stress. That's what it means to be alive today, stressed out. Maybe in your day, back in sandals and no cars and all that, you could just not worry. But today, I don't have a choice. I have to, I have to be overwhelmed. I have to be stressed out. Let me just ask you about, sometimes we do this so quickly. Do you honestly think that first century Jews had nothing to worry about? And Jesus, who often predicts his death, horrible death, do you think that he did not have the opportunity to worry about what was coming? Honestly? I mean, if you do, you know, that's whatever it is. But here's the deal. Too many times we dismiss other people by saying this, well, you don't understand what it's like. 
we kind of find a way to say your experience isn't, doesn't measure up or isn't in sync with my experiences. So therefore, you don't know what it's like. And we tune out to wisdom that God wants to bring our way. We insulate ourselves from this. And so therefore, what happens? We wind up stuck. If nobody understands you and nobody's ever had this experience and nobody really cares about what you think is, then guess what? You're all on your own. Is that where you want to be? Or does it possibly mean that somebody else might understand? And maybe, as Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Maybe he's not just talking off the top of his head. Maybe he's talking to the depths of your soul. He says, life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And the idea there is not like, well, food's really, really important and clothes are really important, but life is slightly more than that. What he's saying is this, life is so much more than the necessities of life. Now for us, most of our worry and care is not about the necessities of life. It feels like those have been taken care of. And so in this passage, it's, it's weird because this is focused on the, you don't have enough food to eat and you don't know if you'll have clothes to wear and you don't know if you'll have shelter, so you could worry about those things. Those are necessities. I have to have them. Today, that's most of the time not what we worry about, but we still have the same, like, I have to have that or else I won't be okay, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? I have to have. And so whatever it is that becomes this idol in me, I have to have it or I won't be okay. Jesus says the body is more than that or life is more than that. The body is more than clothes. He's kind of using two words to describe what he wants you to experience is more than just necessities. It's more than just earthly things. It's more than just lesser things. And when you and I make our life about lesser things, we experience less life which may be why you're struggling with motivation or energy or sleep because you've bought into the lie that life is about some of these lesser things. It's not that food isn't important or clothing isn't important or whatever stressing you out isn't important, but it's not life. That's what Jesus says. It's not life. And addressing it, even if it was sorted out and fixed out, doesn't remove your opportunity to live stressed out and doesn't actually give you the life that you're wanting. So the first discussion in your head and in your hearts that Jesus invites you to when you are stressed out is this. Am I living like lesser things are the focus, the point of life? Have I been wrapped up in something that is not going to make it and acting like it's the thing? How would you know? Well, here's how you would know. Because you fear not having them. You spend your time and energy trying to chase them down, trying to ensure that you can keep it, and you believe if you can hold on to it or if you can attain it, then you're going to be able to be better. Then you're going to be able to rest. Then you're going to be able to stop worrying. You're going to stop stressing. Let's just take it to the things Jesus says, food and clothing. What would a life look like if you didn't have them and you didn't know where they were coming from? Food and clothing. What would that life look like? Because what Jesus is saying is, even if you don't have them, recognize that that's not what life is about. And Jesus says, you have the opportunity to have joy and peace in your soul. The ability to love others and to give to others what I have. Is that you? Jesus is describing someone who is convinced that life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Are you convinced? And so, if life is more than this stuff, what's that mean? why does that mean I shouldn't worry about it? Because... Worrying places my internal well-being 
in the hands of things that are passing away. Things that are going to be gone a hundred years from now. If I am wrapped up and miserable and all kinds of stressed out about stuff that is passing away, that's going to be gone, then I've really gotten sucked into the lie. How many times have you gotten sucked into it? How many times have I gotten sucked into it? All right, so that's the first discussion. Am I putting my hope in lesser things? Second discussion, go with me, verse 24 down to verse 30. Jesus kind of keeps going and he says this. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storerooms or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, And your father knows that you need them. Jesus says, here's the answer to worry. Here's the internal discussion that you have. God knows that you need these things. God watches over you. Simple arguments. The first one is about some birds, some ravens. He says, hey, God feeds the ravens. Think about what he's saying there. The ravens don't plan ahead. They don't have any reserves. They don't have barns. They don't have storehouses. They just eat by the grace of God. And God says, Jesus says, aren't you more valuable than the ravens? I don't know. You know, all life is life. Well, did Jesus die for the ravens? Were the ravens created in the image of God? Were the ravens the object of God breathing the breath of life into them? Aren't you more valuable than the ravens? So what he says is, as you look around you and you see God's care for lesser things, don't you believe that he will also take care of you? The question about stress, the question about worry is often a question about whether you actually believe God will take care of you. And Jesus says, ask yourself, what do you believe? And if you have struggle with what you believe, take a look around at the goodness of God on creation. And ask yourself, if God is good to creation like that, do you think he might be good to you? By the way, ravens were unclean birds for Jews. They were birds that you didn't touch. They were birds you didn't eat. They were birds that were disgusting, unlikable, and to be avoided. And Jesus didn't mistakenly use the raven. He knew the emotional response that he would get as he said, God feeds the ravens. And he wanted to make it as obvious as possible that everyone is eligible. Maybe today you're a raven. You think you're disgusting. You think you're unlikable. You think God wouldn't have time for you. Maybe he'll take care of the nice birds, but not this one. I'm a raven. Everybody hates me. Jesus said, God feeds the ravens. The outsiders, the dirty, the the lost causes, the nobody wants to be around me. God cares for the ravens. Don't you think he cares for you? That's the first logical argument. God feeds the ravens. Second logical argument. What good does it do? He says, if you could do something by worrying, 
maybe it'd be worthwhile. But who of you can add a single hour of life by worrying? You might take a couple away, but how can, can you add any time to your life? In Matthew's version, uh, as Jesus teaches on this in another, he says, can you grow? Can you make yourself grow by worrying? Can you do anything by worrying? It is a useless endeavor, and yet you and I know how much energy it takes from me. And so think about this. If worrying does nothing, it accomplishes nothing, but it wearies me and depletes me, do you see the trap? I've got a calling in my life. I've got things, a purpose, and things I'm supposed to be doing. And so if I can get caught and stuck in worrying, there's a trap here that sucks all the energy, all of the grace, all of the day, all of the hours, all of the time and the skills, and sucks it from purpose into nothingness. And we buy into it. We justify it. We rationalize it. We live in it and we go, well, this must be the way it is. I, there's nothing I can do. It's my personality. It's the way that I'm bent. It's the situation in my life. It's the, we buy into it. We're making excuse for the devil's work who steals and kills and destroys. And you're like, yeah, come steal from me. I'll help you. Which of you, by worrying, can add one hour to your life? God can do, can God, can God add an hour to your life? God is able, we are not. God can manage the things that you're worried about, and you already know you can't. So we need to get very hopeless about worrying, because it doesn't do anything good. Third logical argument, clothing. He says, look at the wildflowers. They do nothing, but God dresses them. They are presentable, beautiful, because God wants them to be. Not to, so that they can feel like they have self-worth and not because others will approve of them. God clothes the wildflowers. God makes them pretty and beautiful because he wants to. And Jesus says, if God cares about these very temporary little plants that here today and tomorrow they're thrown into the fire, don't you think he is concerned about you? This, this logical argument is over and over again in, in, in Hebrew writing, from lesser to greater. If this is true, obviously for the greater, it's also true. And so if God feeds the ravens, of course God's going to feed you. If God clothes the flowers, of course God's going to clothe you. God will take care of you. There's a similar idea with snowflakes. Have you ever seen pictures, microscopic pictures of snowflakes and the way that they're designed and the way that they look and the beauty of them? If you haven't, look it up sometime. Images of real snowflakes. They're gorgeous. Think about that. They're works of art that melt, sometimes immediately. Sometimes before they even hit the ground, they melt. If God takes that much care on a snowflake, don't you think he'll take some care of you? Right? The idea is we should already get this. We should already know this. We should already see this, but we don't. And that's why he says, oh, you of little faith. We don't believe the truth applies to us. We don't trust in the care of God. We don't bet our lives on it. We go, I hope God takes care of me, and as long as I hope he does, then I sit here and worry about whether he will or not. I don't let it be a settled issue inside of me. I mean, I know it makes sense, and I know Jesus says it's true, but I'm just having a hard time holding on to it. Well, maybe you need to consider that how it feels is wrong, and that God is true and God is right. 
Do you see the work of God all around you, yet doubt that he will care for you? So Jesus says, don't set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. The idea of setting your heart is to seek it diligently, to crave after it, to wish for it, to chase it. Jesus says, don't chase these things, things of this world, these lesser things, believing that they will add to your life, believing they will fix your life. He says that's what the pagan world does. The godless, those who don't know him, they chase after it and they try to gather life for themselves, but they're blind. They don't realize that it's not going to solve their life. He says they're desperate for these things. Have you ever watched somebody desperate for something of this world? And they're working hard at it and they're pursuing it and they've got to have it. That desperation, Jesus says, don't live like that, desperate for things that are passing away. But live desperate for what? Almighty God. What do you believe God is like? That's the second discussion Jesus invites you to in your head. As you worry, ask yourself this, what do I believe God is like? Do I believe God's reliable? Do I believe he's good? Do I believe he takes care of the birds and the flowers? Can I trust him? Does he care about me? What do I believe? And then make that belief answer the worry. That's Jesus' prescription for worry. And he says, if you do that, then you have this opportunity. In verse 31, you have an opportunity for a life that actually matters. He says, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. If I come up with the right answers, if my values turn out to reflect the truth, if they're in line with what's actually real, then Jesus says there's only one focus for living. Set your focus here. Direct your passions here. Find your hope here. Where? In the kingdom. Live like you have a king. Live like the king is in charge. Live like the king is great. Live like the king is worthy. And live like you're a citizen of his kingdom right now. That means embracing the work of the kingdom as your highest priority. Seek first his kingdom. The point of our life is not the matters of this world. They're beside the point. The point of this life is the kingdom. And there are lots of ways to do kingdom work. Some of them are easy to see. Some can get confusing. But basically, live according to what God called you to do. Serve the kingdom by doing what God asked. Okay, So we get together on Sunday morning and go to church. There's service here. You could say, oh, as you serve the church, you're serving the kingdom. I get that. I get that. Or you bump into somebody at work and you're sharing the gospel with them and they get saved. I, I see kingdom work. That, some of them are obvious. But some of them are just implied. Tomorrow morning you get up and God has called you to a job. God has called you to school. Getting up and going and doing what God asks you to do is serving the kingdom. Because if you do it by faith that this is what God has put in front of me to do, you're putting your trust in him. Not working it all out like where's it all go. You're just, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. So moms and dad, there's kingdom work for you. At home, with your kids, with your finances, with your house, with your friendships. There's kingdom work at your job. Do a good job. Point people to Jesus. In your school, in your neighborhood, in your family, seek his kingdom. It means we desire eternal things, that that's where our heart is set. That's where our hope is set. We believe that his kingdom is the ultimate good and we pursue it. In comparison, think about some people who live like something else is the ultimate good and how they pursue it, whether it's advancement in the job world or achievement in academics or position or power or money, how they pursue it. 
Jesus says that's how we should be pursuing the kingdom of God. We are to seek God's kingdom like this world seeks lesser things. We are to be desperate for him because we have to have God. We have to be a part of what he's doing in this world. But we'll never get to that if we're fixated on worry, if we're fixated on these little details. And so today, Jesus invites you not to worry. He invites you to ask, what do you believe God is like? Do you believe God takes care of you? And where is your focus? Are you fixated on lesser things? And so with that in mind, we're going to get to communion this morning. So I'm going to invite you just to leave your stuff where it is and to find a spot around the outsides of this room. Then we'll pass the cups out. What we've talked about today really starts where we're going to finish. Freedom from worry, freedom from anxiety comes from digging down really deep roots into this, into this truth. And so I want you to experience it today. Because here's what Paul says in Romans 8. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We're standing ready to bear witness again to the goodness of God, to his care for us, to his love for us. This bears witness of how God loves you. And if God loves you this much, Paul says, don't you think he also cares about the little details of your life? Don't you think he can manage those too? So I invite you today to reflect on the goodness of God, to let it fill you up today, and then to let it confront whatever in you would say, I don't think God cares about me. He doesn't? Well, here's the bread Jesus took, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Does God care about you? My body broken for you. As it comes around, you're going to have to rip a piece off. And as you rip that off, his body broken for you. Not for people, for you. This is my blood poured out for you. I care about you. Today, as we celebrate this, as we observe this, dig some roots down into the goodness of God because it will stop you from living like God doesn't care and it will stop you from living like lesser things are the point of life. This reminds us why we're here, what we're about, and that God watches over us. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Jesus took the cup and took the bread, said, when you eat this bread, drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me, in remembrance of him. Let's close in prayer. We'll be dismissed this morning. Let's pray together. Fathers, we have the taste of bread and juice in our mouths. It reminds us very sensory about the literal giving of your body the pouring out of your blood for each one of us. Speak to our souls, Father. Renew us. Put our feet back on solid ground. If the enemy has been having his way with us in worry, I pray, Father, that your goodness that is so evident in what we just observed would be roots that give us life this day, this week. I pray, Father, we would live as people believe our God is great. And we would be people who declare that greatness by the faith that we have in it, the unshakable faith that you have us, that you care about us, that you are watching over us, and that we will never be put to shame by trusting in you. And so, Father, as we go from this place, let us live that truth out. Challenge us with that as we 
as we fight the battles we've been fighting, Father, give us the victory that comes by faith, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, everybody. God bless.